0: when we think about building psychological safety is to think of it um, as as a ladder and there are I think of it as having three very big rungs that we're trying to move up if we genuinely believe that we can learn or grow we are interested in hearing other people's ideas and feedback in the work around growth mindset, it's not praising the person, but praising the process. When people worked on their strengths, their overall performance improvement went up by about 36%. When people focused on fixing a weakness, their overall performance declined by...
1: Hello and welcome to the Brian Moyler podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moylott, former Irish age-grade international rugby player turned high-performance mindset coach. Each week on this podcast, I bring you an interesting person or message to help you discover how to be happier, more fulfilled, and more successful. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is available now on Amazon and Audible with links in the show notes. If you love this podcast, please send on to some friends. You can subscribe on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and can also leave five star reviews there. Thanks, Emil, for spending some time with me today. Now let's get into it. So, Denise, you're the director of New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, but I'm looking forward to chatting about positive psychology and loads of different areas. But chat to me a little bit about how you got to here.
0: Ah, it's a long and twisted road. So in terms of starting the psychology or back further?
1: A little bit back further, maybe.
0: Okay. Um, I studied pure politics, left Ireland in the middle of a deep recession. So went on what my parents called my Euro junket and studied in Belgium and Italy for a couple of years, um, international economics and politics, and then ended up working in London at the kind of height of the stock exchange boom and someone said I got offered a job there because I spoke French and Italian and I pretty much absolutely hated it and it was a really good short sharp lesson in what you don't want and sometimes that really helps focus direction so rather than analyzing why businesses did or didn't succeed I was really interested in going to management consulting and saying how can we work with industry to help them succeed and then i did a lot of work um in europe a lot of my work was around um eu-wide stuff and looking at organizational reviews and then interested in the people side and really my work has from that point kept going into how do we look after the people that we're working with and that really has been a theme and so In New Zealand, I worked in management assessment and development, designing sort of multi-day assessment centers to assess and develop senior management, and then getting into more of um, how do you actually help people develop the skills and capacities you want them to have? And when I lived in Queenstown, I created a three-day residential program called What to Do Next with Your Life and ran that using a lot of the principles of positive psychology. Um, I had been familiar with Martin Seligman's Learned Optimism from about uh, 1995. And so I was working with that and with strengths. And then um, I was I was doing this work with people and having great success. People were saying, you know, most people would describe the program as life-changing. And then, um, it was my husband who saw an ad for the Masters in Applied Positive Psychology in um, in Philadelphia. And he said, that looks really interesting. I might go. And Nigel got busy and I went instead. And that really was that. So that was studying for a year over in traveling over to um, Philadelphia once a month um, to do my Masters and, and working with some of the really, some of the best thinkers in the science of well-being and resilience.
1: Hmm. Cool. And so, so you went into management consulting with a kind of view to how do we help or how do you or how do I help people be better essentially or perform better?
0: Well, yeah, it was, you know, in, in stockbroking, we were looking at at organisations after the fact and going, how did they perform? Um, by sell hold, and um, and I thought much nicer to be involved in going. How can we help you work out what to do in a way that will actually help you grow and develop? Yeah.
1: And what were the some of the things then that you found did help those people?
0: Um, in so in, I mean, all the way through, if we look at um from working in management consulting all the way through to management assessment and development and through to today and the work we do in well being and resilience, there are there are skills and attributes, you know the KSAs, the knowledge, skills, and attributes that we want people to have. And I think we've been really clear on that for the last couple of decades. But the bit that we've moved away from and forgotten is that the environment in which we are makes a huge difference. And I think about it as we can teach you the skills of resilience and wellbeing. And that's like teaching you how to swim. But the pool that you're swimming in The health of that pool makes a huge difference and the quality of the interactions that we have can either really support our resilience and enable our performance or can leave us crawling for the exit and and i think that won't be unfamiliar to anyone who's worked in sport everyone most of us can think of teams you've been part of where you felt that people had your back. It was safe to make mistakes. It was safe to really try. It was safe to innovate and create. It was okay to fall in a screaming heap. And other places where you were second guessing yourself so much that um, you couldn't do anything. I, I have this very vivid memory of a guy I worked for who really thought I was no good. And I remember one day trying to have a conversation with him in his office. And I walked into his desk and I thought, oh, God almighty, you know, my my confidence and my my belief in myself is so diminished around you that I literally have just walked into the furniture. You know. Most days I can manage to navigate furniture at a walking pace. Um, So I'm really interested, especially now in how we actually um look at the kind of environments we're creating.
1: Yeah, it's massive. It's huge. And I was just in your chat there, I was thinking back to myself when I was young playing rugby. I remember playing with the Connacht Under 20s under Nigel Carolyn And it was the first time I f- felt that I could truly express myself and go for things and try whatever I felt and go and shoot to be the best version of me and if it didn't work out he had my back he wasn't worried about it in training and it literally blew my mind the stuff I I started doing and we as a team started doing I was like stuff was just coming off I was like yo like and all of us were doing it and it was just incredible but I was 18 it was the first time ever
0: and and they you weren't even aware Beforehand, that there was this well of ideas and creativity and innovation inside you. Because when you're in an unsafe environment, you literally can't tap into it.
1: Yeah. Do you know what I think? I think that I knew there was more in me and I knew that these people were curtailing me. Say, these other coaches, they were like, don't make a mistake. Just do this. Stop trying to do that. Just do this. And if something worked out, they turned, they, oh, but if something didn't work out, they're hard on you. And you just, it just really suppresses you. Mm. And I just think that that happens a lot.
0: Oh, on, on the sports field and in any other environment we operate, whether you want to think about that as the work environment or family environment or the wider community.
1: And what will be some of the things that a leader, a coach, you know, be it sport, work, whatever, could do or ways they could be to allow their people to flourish?
0: So we've been talking about this concept for quite a while as collective resilience and how do we build our collective resilience? And I often laugh with people in in different settings because I'll show them literally about 10 different theories, constructs and labels for how you do this. And they've been around for the last 30 years. And whether you want to think of them as diversity, equity and inclusion, belonging and inclusion, psychological capital, social capital, psychological safety, cultural responsiveness, right? There's a whole load. And um, I often think that it's like, well, why do we keep getting these similar things with new labels? And I think it's because researchers are like, well, they're ignoring it. But maybe if we give it a jazzy new label, somebody might pay attention that who we are matters. And one of the ones that's getting a lot of traction and I think has a lot to offer is psychological safety. So are you familiar with it? Yeah. Yeah. Amy Edmondson's work.
1: Yeah. Be oh, reaching
0: for a book.
1: My charger. um No psychological sorry, safety, hundred percent, and it's it's what I when I heard about it, read about it. It was what that environment I thought back that once again, Nigel Ireland created for us that we could fail. Simple as, and that we knew that we weren't going to get even the sigh or the you know that's uh, sometimes coaches they say like oh you know try things but then they mightn't shout at you when you make a mistake but you can feel their energy like you can yeah, feel yeah. yeah like they oh you know like players are smart and so the coaches and leaders they have to live it they have to truly truly be it it's not just something you read and you go okay I told them that they can make a mistake but
0: yeah, but they, they don't, they're just not willing. It's the, the players aren't willing to make mistakes. Yeah, because you've made it unsafe. And so um, it's in, in, in a whole load of areas around well-being and resilience. When we're, when we're thinking about um, social interaction and connection, faking it doesn't help. Saying saying one thing and doing another sends a really powerful mixed message that lets people know they're not safe and they will always trust what you do over what you say, which is completely rational. Yeah, mm. uh, you know, if you say you're going to do one thing and you don't look at what they do. Um, and so, you know, there'll be a lot of places work or sport whether it's you know oh no everyone can speak up we want everyone's ideas but you'll get the funny look or you'll get the the deep sigh or the just yeah no that won't work um and we get we get the message very quickly um and so one of the things i think is very helpful um when we think about building psychological safety is to think of it um as as a ladder and there are i think of it as having three very big rungs that we're trying to move up um, and that they are kind of, the first rung is the safe ground of belonging and inclusion. It's okay to be there, you're seen, um, you you fit in, you're included, Um, safety. And then the next layer is belonging, is um, learning and contribution. And that's where it's okay for you to make your contribution. And if you're learning, that means it's okay to make mistakes genuinely. And that's all good. But if we really want to get to that really high level, um, that's where we've got to get to the next level, which is challenge and innovation. And that's about being able to say, I don't think what we're doing is working. And I think I've got another idea that might work. And share and feeling confident to be able to share it, or you know the approach we've been taking isn't working. I've got another idea, and not and not getting slammed. Um, I worked in an organisation once, <laughs> which was, you know, uh, one of the bosses did say to me at one point, "We're a contemporary organisation, you know, um, modern management." Oh my God, the fear and loathing in that group was so intense um everyone knew it wasn't safe and in the spirit of modern management we had to give 360 degree feedback um which meant you had to sit down with your boss boss and give them feedback well i have never it was like watching you know people crawling to get away there was this desperate desperate um Scramble to not give feedback to the frightening boss, and and I was like, well, how, how, how can it be? We're just giving feedback, and oh, ah, yeah, it was pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And
0: Sorry.
1: yeah, and just when you mentioned that, I was just thinking of another one, and the challenging feedback, and that's something that like you really, I think, have to bring awareness to your ego, and that's something that a lot of coaches from my experience are insecure with they're insecure I I feel or have felt that they're insecure in themselves and any bit of any talk that they may deem as challenging them they see it as challenging whereas it's actually like I just found once again when I was younger it's like I'd be like why are we defending this way Oh, just shut up and get on with it. Why are Why are we um Why Why are we doing this? And then oh, just shut up and you know and, and that's the way it was.
0: This is the plan, and and so it can be really. I mean, and this actually brings us jumping to another topic that I know you're interested of growth mindset, because if we genuinely believe that we can learn or grow, we are interested in hearing other people's ideas and feedback. But the truth is, none of us are, you know, completely across the board, believing we can grow and change and develop and become. And we all have pockets where we don't believe we can make any improvement. And if our ego is threatened, it's really easy to hit back into, don't don't you tell me what to do, and fearing that somebody else's ideas mean you're not good enough, you know?
1: Yeah. And the growth mindset, fixed mindset thing is something I find just mad, like fascinating. And I certainly, when I was younger, had a very fixed mindset in that I would see myself as relatively talented. But if someone at age 18 was a little bit better than me, I'd be like, oh, he's better than me. Simple mm-hmm. as.
0: And and that's the, that's the real kicker here is around talent, because talent is innate, you know, we always laugh about, um, you know, one of the classic mindset comments from teenage boys. Oh, do you hear Paul got an A? Yeah, but he studied. You know, not that bright. If you were really bright, you wouldn't have to do any work. You'd just be Brilliant and and that that is for me one of the ultimate signs of fixed mindset is that you've either got to have it you've got to be a natural and we don't value steady improvement by effort you know
1: yeah and something on this that i've kind of my mind has been blown the last like say two years but failure so you know, you've heard the Michael Jordan quote. I've missed 9000 shots. I've lost 300 games. I've been trusted to take the game and shot 26 times. I've failed over and over again. And that is why I succeed. That the most uh, growth mindset, what it means is that you're looking to fail. You want to fail. You're trying Where's to fail.
0: Edge? Where's my edge?
1: Exactly. And yeah. that's something that I've just been like, yo, just blow my mind. And I'm like, I'm now like, let's do it. Let's fail. And I'm trying to fail because I'm trying to get to the edge and, and cross the edge. Oh, that didn't work. That did work. And that's just just blow my mind, because whenever I played, you you don't want to go near the edge. You don't want to fail.
0: And, and, you know, I remember years ago for a very different project interviewing Chris Cairns, New Zealand cricketer. And he was the son of Lance Cairns. He was the brilliant young cricketer and everyone expected great things of him. You know, he was the person who was labelled with great potential. And he said he talked about the millstone of great potential and um, the idea he said the millstone of great potential cost me about 2 years took me about 2 years to realize that my great potential wasn't going to realize itself it was only going to realize itself if i got down into the mud and did the work and slogged away and that that's how you realize great potential
1: yeah, and another thing on that that I've heard, um, which I think is is so true, is telling or reinforcing with players how they're such a hard worker. You know, not saying telling a player they're talented, just saying, "Wow, such hard work! Well done. Look how hard you work there." And then they they link the two with, "I worked hard, I had success."
0: And and typically in um in the work around growth mindset, it's not praising the person but praising the process and the effort. So, wow, you're a really hard worker and I loved your approach. I watched you go out and you've come out and you've kicked from all these different angles and I've watched you come out and do it in rain and sun and I've watched you do it with people annoying, you You know? I really like the way you've tried to, your process, yeah? Um, And so it's praising the process and and praising the effort, because what we know, and a lot of this work, um, this research was done, like there's been a lot of research done with kids, looking at their attitude to their own intelligence, and one of the things that is an unexpected, um, an unintended consequence of praising the person, oh my god, you're brilliant, you're so talented, when parents do that for their children, and obviously we're talking about you know, the, the the really significant and consistent person praise. Um What the child internalizes is, mommy and daddy love me when I'm a brilliant student and I get an A. And that's what the parents say. But what the child also does is think about the corollary. That means they don't love me when I don't get an A. And if everyone says you're a really brilliant player and they love having you on the team on the days when you're not brilliant or the matches when you're not brilliant, does that mean you're a worthless person?
1: Well, I think a lot of players, that's, yeah, what they certainly would have experienced. And it's something that I think I would say the vast majority of players, this is a broad um, or a generalization, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, from my experience i would think a lot of sorry vast majority of players would be like that like you play well you your self esteem is up you see yourself as valuable you play poorly i know when i remember getting dropped from a team like a the irish 18s last cut and i just thought myself as worthless useless no good at rugby may as well qu- just play for social now not even try anymore i'm useless i'll
0: play for the pre-seas
1: yeah that was it um, you know and whereas if you make a team you just you tie up your um your worth as a person somewhat
0: and and this is like we i know um jed robinson is really big on this it's how do you establish your worth as a person beyond your sport so that when it's finished what else are you what else are you going to do you know and i remember and it's very easy and it happens really easily and um and athletes might not be great but their family aren't great either you know uh, I have a lovely memory of my daughter rowing here in New Zealand in the Maddie Cup um, at twice, or maybe South Islands. And they had come eighth in an A final, out of eight, of course, because it's rowing, which means they came last. And I'm walking down the towpath to see Clara as she's coming back up. And I was thinking, was well, so what do I say? Like, well, that was awful, or You must be really disappointed. And luckily, by sheer fluke, not great design, all I said was, how are you? And she said, mom, that is the best rating we have got out of that boat all season. Seriously, that is the best row we have done in that boat all season. She says, I know we didn't, I know we didn't do well in this race, but frankly, that's the best we've done all season and I'm delighted. And, and that's at the heart of growth mindset that you're looking at growth and competing against yourself
1: yeah class and that's that's all there is is competing against who you were yesterday and it's something that you know like i've done it myself my whole life nearly but what are your goals oh win make x amount of tackles win all my lineouts, um get selected for the like all outcomes and you can't control the outcomes. You actually can't. And that's something that's mad. And players don't understand. I didn't understand. But one I just explained to players now when I'm working with players is, I want to win. Well, it's not actually within your control because you could play against the All Blacks tomorrow. And you're not going to win. I don't care how well you play. I don't care how well all your teammates play. You oh,
0: cook- come on now. Surely.
1: No. At this like,
0: point, surely our reference group has to be the Irish team.
1: Oh, I'm on about kids. I'm thinking of, sorry. I I'm thinking know, of kids. I know. I you know. Oh, oh, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in. A, living we're in, in a, New in a, Zealand.
0: We're in a sea shift. The team to beat now is the Irish team.
1: That's true. It's funny here in New Zealand how people are saying I that know. as well. But, uh, you know, like, it's. It's challenging then at first, like letting go of the outcomes and being like your focus being I'm going to back myself. I'm going to play with courage. I'm going to give it 100 percent or, you know, these these processes versus outcomes. I don't know. it's, It's very difficult to detach from the outcomes, but you have to.
0: It's really important. And when, so I teach the Diploma of Positive Psychology and wellbeing and have done, I think since about 2014. And one of the areas that people are most surprised, mind blown by is when we come to look at goal setting. Now, a bit different than performance for athletes because this is about wellbeing. And sometimes the goals you set as an athlete do not deliver wellbeing. might deliver outcomes but they you know i think most people can think of times where it hasn't hasn't been together however um if we think about the kind of goals how do you set goals that the process is enjoyable the process feeds you so that even if you don't hit your goal the process has built you up and added to your life along the way and One of the one of the important things we talk about is that your goals should be, you know, autonomy, competence and relatedness. The best goals will give us all of those. But how do you competence is interesting because um, it's really unhelpful to set goals that you don't have control over, you know, saying, I want to win that match is kind of like saying single handed. And we have to be able to to think about, so what bit can I control? Um, I might be able to control, um, I want to be the kind of player that will make a significant contribution to a winning team. I want this, I've got four particular skills I want to bring to the team. I can say, I will hone those skills so I can deliver them really reliably, right? That's within my control. I'm going to be the kind of player that really contributes to a team by supporting other people and not being an arse. That's within my control, you know. And so it's around. And I'll give you an example. So, um, which is very unrelated to sport, but we we the classic example that we will get um, sometimes would be somebody saying, "I want to get married." And it's like, well, that's a nice goal, but actually that's not up to you. It's up to there being somebody else that wants to do that with you. Better goal would be, I want to be the kind of partner that the kind of person I like wants to be with. I want to be the kind of partner I want to be with. What does that look like? What kind of interest does that person have? What kind of life are they leading? What kind of effort are they putting into? Are they a, a complete misery guts, or how are they working on their own well-being? That's all within your control.
1: hundred mm, percent. And with the goals and so, say outside of sport, like I get you with the kind of the short term like next game and 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 that analogy there or that, um that one but so we'd say people like the person getting married or whatever I think or correct me but you have to have a big dream like a big north star and vision, then and
0: vision and mission are important
1: yeah like you have to and something that challenges people to get a north star that's actually a big vision or mission is their self-image and their their doubt so one thing I've mentioned a couple of times, but say when I'm working with a player, I'll say, start first up, it's like, what do you want to achieve? What's your goal? And they'll say, oh, I want to achieve this. And then I say, well, well, if you couldn't fail and you were definitely going to achieve it, what would it be? And it's a 10X one or not, maybe a two or three or four X, yeah. but it's just the fear of failures holding them back. And, and subconsciously in your subconscious, you're aiming at that lower one. And I believe that you'll only ever achieve what you aim at, you know, and, a big issue there is people's self image like oh i couldn't achieve that i'm not good enough and and that holds you back and that will always hold you back so i think i don't know big, a big thing that people need to do is have a scary a really scary goal that's that just seems impossible but then get the get the processes to become that person who could in time down the line potentially achieve that
0: I mean, I think if we think about your self-talk, your self-image and your actual performance as all feeding into each other, the the sad truth is we often worry about what other people say to us and how they can limit us or um, hamper our beliefs in ourselves. But much more pernicious and pervasive is our own self-talk because it's there all the time with me. And I can get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and it's still like, oh, yeah, Denise, you're never going to be able to do that or you're not really good enough. And so um, how do you challenge that and where do you challenge that? And the, I mean, this is why at the heart of well-being and performance is, I think, it's always self-awareness, self-discipline and self-compassion or self-regulation. So you have to, first of all, tune into what it is you're saying to yourself. and then and then in the self-discipline to ch- and the self-regulation to go, right, I'm going to challenge that. Am I really no good? Where have I been good? What's the other evidence? Um, and this is at the heart of learned optimism. It's getting that um, getting that challenging your own thinking. Um, and, and then if I if I'm thinking I'm no good, and then I'm challenging it, and saying, well, actually, no, I've done, I've done something like this before, I've done three other things kind of related, and I bet I can get some coaching before I have to do it. I can actually set myself up, I can practice, I can go over stuff. And then, and then my performance is better, which reinforces my self image and my self talk for the next time. So it's actually really important to interrupt it. Um, and, at any stage you can and for me um yeah I think it's I think this is probably Martin Zeligman's one of his biggest contributions is the area of pessimism and learned optimism and and noticing that we all have a way that we explain the world to ourselves when something happens um you go to the supermarket and there's no car there's no space and you might say Oh, look, it's three o'clock, schools are out, it's busy, something will open up in two minutes. Or you might say, nothing ever works for me. Yeah. And so that's how you're explaining the same event to yourself in your head. And when what what we know is that there are three dimensions, three important dimensions in which we do this. And when we do it with adults, we, we describe them as permanent, personal, and pervasive. Um, when we teach this to children, we talk about it as me always everything thinking. So I, I don't get picked for the team. I'm useless. No one wants to play with me. I may as well give up this sport. I'm useless. That's personal. And it's permanent. It's not changeable. And I might as well give up this sport. It's kind of specific. But if my sport is the most important thing in my life, That's quite significant. In contrast, someone else doesn't get picked for the team and they go, do you know, I think I had a a cold when the trials were happening and I really didn't give my best performance. And, um, And I think the selector was looking away when I actually did something really good. So they weren't really paying attention. That's not personal, it's temporary and it's specific you know it's about this selection it's not about me generally and and so we're not saying you have to always blame other people no but it's around noticing are there are there explanations that you tend to land on all the time you know in an ideal world when something happens your explanation should be flexible and then get accurate but if i if every time something goes wrong, I go, "See, I'm useless," that's not flexible, and it's not accurate. And so it's for when we have those habitual pessimistic thinking patterns that it's really helpful to start challenging our own thinking.
1: hundred mm, percent. And yeah, another one just around that when you're talking about um, yeah, something I kind of way I see it is uh their loss. You know, someone if you if you don't get picked, it's like you you seek feedback and then if the feedback is really good and they've pinpointed exact which it seldom is, well, from my experience, not that it's happened much, but you know, like even with coaches, you're like, Oh, well, you could have hit more rooks, or you know, they if they've 30 players, it's they're not they don't really often have great ones, great exact feedback, but you know, you just say it's their loss and you keep you keep cracking on and Another one with the self-talk, the discipline I think is huge, the this, this self-discipline. And a way I like to understand it myself is you see yourself as a certain type of person. Like I'm that person. I'm that person who'll do the hard stuff. I'm that person who'll... And, and the more you see yourself in that image, you do it and then you have that that performance, that backup, like I did it. I went... I did the hard thing I am that type of person and it keeps reinforcing it and then I found you know like if I then sleep in I'll be like you know it's like it's okay it's like okay Brian get back in the horse but then you do it twice like Brian like it's called, you is know that,
0: is that who you want to be yeah,
1: yeah yeah
0: and and you know there and there there are times when we're moving across these spectrum you know that there are times where you can get useless feedback why you didn't get picked and go there Loss. there are other times where you might get some really useful feedback and you can go my loss Mm. I, I didn't get picked this time because I wasn't good enough I didn't do x y and z now what am I going to do before the next time so that they can't go past me you know
1: that's a great point and it's something that players need to understand that it can't be a 55-45 call it can't be a 60-40 call like you have to work so hard that it's a 70-30 and the coach will look like an absolute idiot to everyone if they don't pick you like you have to take it out of their hands you know like sometimes it can be a 55-45 you know you feel it and then you don't get picked and you you get hung up on it but you got to take it out of their hands
0: and and um and I've interesting, I've worked with people who've performed athletes performing at a very high level, who had um been dropped because the coach thought they were a troublemaker and no good. Now, and they went, I'm not. And how and we talk about it as Pygmalion effect. Um, and it's somebody's made their mind up about you. How do you get out from under that? That is really hard. And it takes somebody with enormous um, persistence and discipline and a really big goal, who's going to say, they don't believe me. I am going to do such good work that I convince other people first who will put in a good word for me because I can't talk directly to this person because they think I'm I'm a schemer, I'm manipulative, they've dropped me. I've got to prove I am so good so that there is no option but to pick me. And I have such huge respect for those people because they, 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 they literally do above and beyond what's required to get back on a team.
1: Mm, that's, and it
0: uh, we know it happens
1: happens a lot yeah for sure and um, one came up in another uh podcast I did recently but um Danny Cipriani and I just when you were talking there maybe he's in my mind because I was editing that podcast recently but um he like that wasn't getting into the England team wasn't getting into the England team but just stayed playing with his club and you know with sales Sharks and with Gloucester and was just the best player like it was just standout all the time and just was so brilliant. And then he'd get back into the England squad and then get a game and then get dropped, but just kept persevere, you know, kept pushing. And look he whatever happened happened. But um I don't know when you're talking that's someone who I thought of, you know, just kept going to work.
0: And and it's like and relying on the work to do the talking and relying on their teammates and their coach in the club side to be able to say yeah, great player, great contributor, not a troublemaker, you know. Yeah. And, and just showing up and doing the work, and, um, and the truth is, there are people who have had to go above and beyond to prove to earn their places. Um, some people have a charmed ride; others don't, and I really respect and admire their tenacity.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's normal. That's life, isn't it? Because we're all humans yeah. and humans have favours, like, like our favourites or preferences, or, you know, you might like a player with a certain style of play and, and we're all, you know, and that's 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 each to their own to an extent as well.
0: And and you know that you're just unlucky. It's just a, a period in time when the selectors are favouring whatever this thing is that you're not. Um, and you've really got to push to get past that. Yeah. Hmm. And so um I was gonna say, can we come back? I didn't I didn't really answer your questions. I was going to come back to that around psychological safety and how do we actually build it. And um, and I'm now going to have that moment again of forgetting. Is it Owen Eastwood's book?
1: Yeah, belonging.
0: Belonging, yeah. Belonging is the floor. You if you if you don't have that, it's not safe for anyone to do it. Um and um, there's a lovely researcher from the States called Jane Dutton, uh, Prof Jane Dutton, who, who's at the um, Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, done a lot of work in this space. And she's saying that psychological safety goes when you create routines that help people get to know each other as humans, connect people to the positive impact of their work on others, enable people to help each other, um, when there's more collective than individual reward, and when there's a sense of collective gratitude, when any of that stuff's happening. But the key here is it's it's routines. It's not like um, at the end of the season or at Christmas we'll do something nice. It's how do you how do you value building in time and making time for these things because they are important and. It's not coincidence that someone like Owen Eastwood talks about really prioritizing days at the start of a season where players sit around and get to know each other deeply, you know, because, and and I do this all the time in my work. I'm speaking and I will say, right, you've got three minutes to find as many things in common with the person beside you. Um, And then, And it's like, we always say, oh, we're too busy to spend time. And it's like, what, three minutes, two minutes? Um, Because the question I'll ask afterwards is, do you feel more or less likely to trust this person? Do you feel more or less likely that you could ask them for help or offer help? These are really important things. If we create an environment in which it's easier to offer or ask for help we've just made an enormous change because rather than everybody being stuck everyone's helping everyone move up it's massive you know and and we have to we have to make it easier to have difficult conversations you know and so this is where we talk about a shared language um there's got to be a shared language for talking about the hard stuff um, we we regularly get people talking about um, what's your energy like? You know, are you? And um, we often have sliders where we'll say, if you're, what's your fuel level? Are you running on empty or full to the brim? Um, burnout? Are you golden, crispy round the edges, or setting off smoke alarms? You know, in in workplaces, this has been huge, and I think yeah, I'm really curious about sport because yeah everyone's had so much disruption in the last few years that everyone's been dealing with so much other stuff um i wonder how you can give your best in sport when your tank's a bit empty
1: Mm, just a couple of things i'll get back to that but a couple of things um i love what you say about the routines and i've had owen eastwood on the pod here and uh, he's class i love his loves his book and and it's funny then I was in a New Zealand under 18 Maori camp a couple of weeks ago, I was at, invited in and, and they lived that. They like at the very start, the guy said two things. He goes, don't, don't think you're not Maori enough because seemingly that's a thing that, you know, if you're like yeah. one 32nd or, you know, if you're, or if, you know, you're say half or whatever, whatever he said, you all are. And don't think for a second, you're not a good enough player to be here because you are. And, and, they set that out and he was nearly stern in his delivery of that because he wanted them to know it. And, you know, for them to really understand it, it wasn't just ticking a box. He said that at the start, those two things. And then it was a, uh, the crusader region trial or whatever. And he said, you have our numbers, you know, you, you can always get in touch with us. And so like that belonging, that connection, it wasn't like, and he said, he's like five players or six players are going to get on from 45. Like, that's just fact. But he really made it clear that all of them were valued. All of them were, they cared about them. They belonged. They were, you know, and, and man, it was, um, it was just very, I could feel but, it.
0: But that's how, um, I have great hope for the future of life here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, because we have Maori culture. And we have so much we can learn from it because all of the stuff that's coming over from the states about psychological safety, about how to work successfully together is what's traditionally done. and Fanangatanga is really it's the time you make at the start of any meeting to become family, to become known to each other, you know, um, and and I remember when I arrived here back in 1991, working in places, and there was kind of an eye roll because you want to just get straight to the agenda. Mm. But Māori understand that if you are going to do any work of any significance, everyone's got to feel known and safe. Um, And the whole point of your, your pepeha is to say it's not dissimilar to anything you might do in limerick you from shannon or whereabouts are you the are you the moilets from Ballinaire? ah my aunts honestly would have they'd have known 12 people in your family you know it's that making connection and and it lets people not feel like strangers and lets people feel safer that's what it's all about yeah
1: oh 100 and it's very interesting to say that about in Ireland. It's, yeah, it's the exact same for people listening. Pepeha, I've learned it recently, but it's where Maori people say like their family tree to an extent, or like kind of the mountain, their their yeah, their lineage essentially, exactly. And then people can connect based on the lineage and they can find common connections. And in Ireland, we do that, what is just very much very similar, the exact same, actually. And, and then and, what's
0: really funny is my aunts would do it. Like I'd say I met someone here in New Zealand and they'd say. Oh, ah. you know, like say, the fist of would oh, they be anything to the Frenches from from, from over west and blah blah blah. I'm like, no, Auntie Vera, I'm in New Zealand, it's the other side of the world. No, you never know. Yeah. And then and then they're right. Like when I heard your name, I went, Moilet. Mm. I remember Mick Moilet, played with Shannon, you know. And 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 I, and I texted, I texted one of my cousins, and it's like, oh yeah, I know who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll
1: funny. say yes. Yeah, it is funny. And that's something I found as well. That's kind of annoying in that when people do that, they're like, Oh, do you know this? And you often do. It's like, you know, they connect. It's like people do. It's like, and it's funny, even when you're on the other side of the world or in different places, it's like people can connect back. And it's like it's funny because I used to get annoyed. They're like, Oh, would we'll just stop? But it's like, oh, actually, yeah, no, you well, right. We've that- just
0: found a connection. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And the, so routines, I think that's something that's huge and so easy to do. But coach, people are, are missing. We're missing the point because we all get so hung up on tactics and strategies. And when, you know, when I think back and when anyone listening thinks back of the best teams that they were in, they were the ones who it was either you were in school together. Or I remember Landzone 20 is another one we all used to. And there's a bit different culture now. We all used to go drinking after the games for hours, and we we're from six, seven different schools and clubs and all different stuff. And we were just so tight because we'd all be hanging out together. And and then, yeah, that's the common theme. It's no strategy or tactic.
0: You were invested in each other, you know. Yeah, and and um and so like if. If we think about psychological safety and and the different indicators of of those three levels I mentioned earlier, the questions, if if I'm asking, um, if I was giving you a survey about psychological safety, the questions around belonging or around things like, um, we know each other personally, not just professionally. Where are you one to five? Well-being, it's okay to talk about health issues and burnout. Can I say how I'm doing? Participation, I'm not afraid to ask questions or to share my thoughts. And and then the really basic one, I feel welcomed by my team. And you know whether or not you feel welcomed by your team by the moment, that moment when you put your hand on a door to go into somewhere you notice whether you are pushing it in with delight or there's a bit of a knot in your stomach and you're kind of girding your loins yeah we've, we've all had it haven't we
1: yeah 100 and something that's a bit uh interesting i've learned re- in the last couple of years as well and understanding is um energy and like you without even someone doesn't need to say a word they don't you you can feel it
0: Oh, energy, con- emotional contagion is a real phenomenon. It is. There's a number of people that studied it. We're all emotionally <clears throat> contagious, leaders, most contagious.
1: Yeah, and a, a great example, one of the best examples recently was the Netflix documentary, the Michael Jordan one, when Phil Jackson said Dennis Rodman used to be going berserk, losing his head on the court, and Phil realized that if he was losing his head Dennis would lose it more whereas if he was calm Dennis would be calm and that's just a very that's a fact that players or people mimic or or take on the the energy or the emotions of the leader so as a leader it's very important and that's another what coaches say at any level you know you're shouting and screaming at the referee and then you turn around to your players say, lads no one known to be shouting at the referee today and then you're on the sideline losing your head and it's you know it's it's funny
0: Mm mm-hmm. and And there's so many, like if we think about learning and contribution, um, the questions there are around things like the team encourages me to disagree or to think differently. You know what? What? Um, there's there's a beautiful expression I've heard leaders use where. They're explaining something and how they think. And then they have this lovely last sentence that says, now what have I missed or got wrong there? Yeah. And it absolutely says, bring in something else. What have you missed? What have I not got? What have I got wrong there? You know, and it's just, it's just this lovely little finish that says, no one has a monopoly on knowing. And I want to know what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it all, I think it all emanates, comes from, you have to be it. And like we said, like you have to live it. You have to be it. Like these, like I've just taken so many notes here of different things, but you know, the the things to say, but you have to be it as well. Because I see it so often where coaches will talk at people for five or ten minutes and then they'll say any questions no okay let's go <laughs> you know like they don't want to know they don't want an answer and you know so you have to truly be open and once again I'm going to type back. back another great coach environment I had Mike Rodock with Lansdowne and I I was the type of person who asked a lot of questions who gave a lot of ideas who that was I don't know the way my I think I'm a bit divergent thinking of the way I see things but um Mike would always encourage it and he would he would he would say, yeah let's try it and Nigel Carroll would too and then whereas others just like it was the shut up and get on with it and um, that's how ideas out I'm not saying I had them but you know other people would have great ideas like We had other, there were great players on that team and other teams and they come up with things just like oh yeah or like I saw this play at the weekend by a top 14 team that no one else would have seen and then you know We get the best
0: outcome.
1: Yeah, yeah, you get the best.
0: And it's interesting, you know. We we just we need space to be allowed have and share our ideas and feel it's worth it's worth sharing them. And um, I I think about um, you know we know that we when you think about people's process, we normally start with the the why. Why are we doing this? What is it? How do we do it? And then the what if? And the what if is often the, well, what if it goes wrong? And what are the exceptions to this rule? And most people can be taken through this process pretty easily. Yeah, you satisfy the why and people will, will be patient enough to listen to the rest. But there are some people who are really quick and they're what if thinkers. And you've introduced this thing and they've gone straight to, yeah, but what about? And what if, but what about if this was happening? And if you don't understand that's the way a person thinks, it's really easy to think of them as um, a nuisance or annoying or interjecting. But when you know it's their thinking style and they're just three steps ahead of everyone else, you can actually value them and go, "Yeah, we're going to come to that," you know. Rather yeah. than thinking, "Just do it."
1: Hmm. And that's that ties back to like you said. I, I, I like that phrase with the monopoly on. The knowledge or the information good or ideas, good
0: ideas, yeah, got a
1: good ideas exactly. And one thing I want to uh, touch on: um, you mentioned difficult conversations, and something that is it's just so 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 important. And yeah, I think it's challenging these days. It it is challenging, you know, and I've I've seen in a team where a team I was coaching they lost. And it was like a car crash in slow motion because it was like, you know, it was just going wrong, going wrong. And people started just capitulating on the field. And it was just, we lost to a team that we shouldn't have lost to. Yeah. And I was an assistant coach. And then after we had a team meeting, and two of the senior players said, it was kind of like, what happened? Like, like, and, and then I, the head coach said, kind of called the meeting. And I said, like, like no one say anything like we could see it after 10 minutes like things just weren't going well and we just were like it just you know tears in the headlights and whatever did no one pull anyone in like just say something and then two of the senior players something said to be honest I don't feel comfortable saying anything to anyone in case I offend them and so no one did say anything and on a rugby field that they were afraid of offending people so that they didn't say anything
0: and, and that's it. So, so those two things are really important, that it's easy to ask for help when you're stuck and you can bring up and say that, say you can have the tough conversation, you can raise a tough issue. You know, and, and it might be like that person over there in the wing, you are just not doing it today. What's going on? And it's hard, but what's in your head, Go on.
1: How do you... So, something another thing that I've seen in another team, which I think is very beneficial. So, I'll say before I ask the question, but um, they set out at the start of the season that we care about, like, and they're they do like care about you, and they they really do as people. And but to get better, we have to, if we really care about, like, if I really care about you, Denise, if I see you doing something poorly. I'll show you or talk to you about how you can do better to help you grow as a person. And if I don't care about you, I won't say it. And so to set that out the start, like, Hey, we, if we, we care as leaders, we care about you. And if we're to all care about each other, we have to help each other grow and to grow. We have to have difficult conversations.
0: And, and there's a really simple way. Wow simple but not easy. There's a really simple way that makes that possible, which is the kind of, last of the things on on this level of learning and contribution and that is if you're able to say my unique skills and talents are valued and recognized and we're coming to what you mentioned to me earlier about strengths. So if you really care about me and you want to demonstrate that for this season, what are my strengths? we need to know each other and this is a really important part of the science of well-being because um, at its core it's about the the important truth that what is right and good about you is as real and as important as anything that goes wrong yeah we often allow ourselves to be defined by what we can't do and our faults. And we just kind of leave aside the stuff we can do. And so if you get to know me by my strengths and you don't poo poo them, cause that's a whole other issue. But if you get to know me and you're able to tell me about the strengths you see in me and when you see me doing things well and you've been doing this really well and these are the strengths I'm seeing you using and demonstrating, when it comes to tell me what I'm not doing well, you've actually got a whole other language there. You're able to say, normally, you know, Denise, I see you being persistent. I see you being empathetic. I see you really listening well, because I'm not a rugby player. These are my friends. Uh, I, I see you doing that. Today, I heard you cut across people. I heard you be sarcastic. Now, that's a complete, and and you can actually tell me what you weren't seeing in terms of what you want i didn't see kindness i didn't see empathetic listening these are things i know you can do we need to get back to you doing them
1: yeah and that's brilliant and another have you heard of david Galbraith? he's yeah, a, yeah i had him on here. i love this i've just read his book but i um, had him on here and similar stuff he he talks about in the book of coaching through moments of perfection versus moments of shit and essentially what it is is Just seeing the people do things well and just cheering it. And the more you do that, and even as teammates, we're so quick to say the thing you do wrong. And if you're always saying, like, oh, Denise, you didn't have your hands up there. Oh, Denise, you didn't do this. Oh, Denise, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. Either as teammates or as coaches, like, it's just such a deficit. And that player will just feel so crap and and that they're not good and um i think and that just... will
0: generalize to more of what they do mm. there's a huge study of almost twenty thousand people in business done by the um the general leadership council that looked at what happened when after a performance review a manager and staff member said right we're going to focus manager really we're going to focus on your on remedying your weaknesses next year or we're going to focus on developing your strengths um from memory, the improvement when people worked on their strengths, their overall performance improvement went up by about 36%. When people focused on fixing a weakness, their overall performance declined by over 25%. Mm. So when all somebody says is you're not getting your hands up, you're not doing that, you're not doing that, and and we're going to work on that thing you struggle with today, and that's all we're going to work on. When the person goes to do the stuff they like, they're literally dragging themselves across the floor to do this, their confidence is in their boots, and they do even the stuff they know how to do well, they do it badly.
1: 100%. Because what we've
0: done is suck the joy out of somebody's life. 100% 100%
1: and um, I think I hope that it's changing a bit but like when I was growing up that was just my whole experience it was like the time before and after was to work on your weaknesses you know and then they changed it to work-ons oh work these are your work-ons and it's you're spending you're on the left-handed pass you're 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 not you're just finding the weakest part of your game and you're going at it for 15 minutes and it just cements into your mind that i am not that good
0: yeah completely completely and when we when that's all you're told that becomes so much more of you i do remember at a a performance review maybe 20 years ago and um Oh, oh, sorry. Before that, I would just say, and most of us know when we get this kind of feedback as well, and someone says, well, uh, yeah, you showed up today. Um, and they go, oh, here we come, shit sandwich. Um, they're going to give me one nice thing, one terrible thing. But actually, all I'm paying attention to is the terrible thing in the middle. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or your boots are clean. Um, you know, um. And one of the things that I found, it was, it really stopped me in my tracks and it was really helpful. It was a performance review and I'd had my positive bit and I'm now getting the, the, the shit part of the shit sandwich. And the person giving me the review then stopped and said, hang on a second. Can we absolutely be clear here? The good stuff is 90% of what you're doing. This stuff we're looking for change Is ten percent. Please don't think this is most of what's going on. This is so much a small part of what you do, and that perspective was really helpful. Mm. I don't know that we always make that clear for people.
1: Yeah, we definitely don't. And I think just bringing it back a step, I think it is still so beneficial. I like those. You said thirty six percent focused on strengths minus Minus twenty five percent. Focus on weaknesses. Like, as a coach, if you literally, and I, I would, before you said that, I, that was my feeling. You know, and so like the moral of the story is, as a coach, if you literally forget about the player's weaknesses, you literally turn a blind eye to them, and you literally only look at what they're doing well, and praise it, reinforce it, and encourage them to be more of it. Your team is going to get thirty six percent better. Yeah. You know, and and that's it's obvious and it's true. And try it out. And we're just conditioned. You know, I brought awareness to it myself a while ago. I, le- I was learning about this, and I brought awareness to it. When I was on the field, I was hardwired to see mistakes. Oh, someone make a mistake. I could feel my body ready to shout to tell them what they did wrong. They know they've done it wrong. <laughs> you know.
0: And I, I, I was thinking about there was something I was doing recently, and I can't remember. I was asking someone for feedback and they went, no. Oh yeah, it, it was it was in a work situation. And, and they said, this is fabulous young woman. And we were talking about having to do social media. And I'm like, oh, I can't stand this on her head. And what do I have to do? And give me some feedback. And she said, no, because all you'll do is focus on what you're not doing well. And she said, just keep going. What you're doing is working. And as you do more of it, you'll get better. And I've seen, I've seen other been with other coaches who've done that too, who'll say, they will only let themselves, let themselves give one piece of feedback. And it's like, this thing you're doing is really working. Do more of this. And if there's one thing you want to change, work on that. But really just going, if I look at this human being, what's the one thing that is going to unleash the greatest change in their performance, you know, and really only allow yourself to say one thing at a time. And you and I will probably both agree that the one thing that will unleash the greatest improvement in performance will be really noticing what it is, is their gift, their particular strength that they bring, and saying, this thing you do, do more of it
1: yeah because they'll then flourish mm-hmm. um well, hey denise thanks so much for your time i could literally chat forever um really appreciate it and uh, i've loved chatting
0: it's been great to talk to you thank you so much
1: cheers for listening in today i hope today's podcast helped you on your journey be sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's episodes and all the important links If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be an absolute legend, please share it with a friend on social media or by text. And let me know what you enjoyed about the episode over on our social media channels at Brian Moylet. I really love hearing your feedback and it helps us make the pod better. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on both Spotify and Apple podcasts. And on both Spotify and Apple podcasts, you can leave up to a five-star review. If you're in sports or business and you want to get better results, you feel like you're capable of more, you want to be happier, more fulfilled, more successful in what you are doing, head over to my website now, offfieldrugby.com, and we'll set up a time to have a chat for free. You can get my new book now on Amazon and Audible, and the links are in the show notes. Thanks Emil for clicking in today. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers. Cheers.